what's up on this week's episode episode five of stats don't matter podcast we talk about the whirlwind week for nascar major league baseball's dramatic season finale a ufc fighter who called it quits why COVID is just going to continue to COVID, and the ESPYs roundup then we're going to get into this week's big ticket what does the future of sports look like in light of how COVID 19 has turned this whole world upside down we're going to end this week's episode of course with what's in my cup this week it's a couple hazy ipas you should find thank you to all the listeners and supporters Find Stats Don't Matter wherever you get your podcast. Let's get into the show. Tim, we got to talk about, uh, there's, there's just so many good sports stories that have been happening in the past week. We got to get into the rundown. Let's start it off with NASCAR. Talk about a wild weekend, right? You, you had the rain delay for the race in Talladega, but uh, racism uh, actually made sure that it wasn't the only delay that happened. <laughs> Obviously, unless you're living under a rock, you kind of heard the news about what happened with Bubba Wallace going into last week. Uh, they found uh, what appeared to be a noose hanging in his garage. Um, NASCAR obviously came out, especially on the heels of what was going on with the Confederate flag and a lot of the outrage from their own fans. The good part is that it turned out after an FBI investigation that it had actually been there all along uh now what you're starting to see is some comparisons to some of the other incidents that have come out that turned out to be either misleading um i don't think that this was in that same vein uh i think it may have been something that was always there sure but uh it's something that kind of came to light in a really really bad time and you can't fault anybody for having the reaction that they had yeah, I mean, what would you rather have had? Uh, I can just see the headlines right now. You know, noose found in NASCAR's uh, driver's garage, and then NASCAR just goes mum on it, like pulls an NFL, doesn't say anything for a week, and people are calling for the sport to be canceled. You can never really go wrong for trying to advocate for your people. And let's take a look at it. In the past, I don't know, three weeks to a month, NASCAR has pretty much told the United States in no uncertain terms, look, you've labeled us as racist sport for, for a long time, and we're not that sport, so just quit it. Right. Yeah. Uh, you, you look at the chief himself, Richard Petty. He's 82. He hasn't been to a race all year because of COVID concerns. And he's like, Bubba drives for my team. I'm going to be out there on the raceway. All the drivers stood in solidarity with him. They pushed his car to the front of the track. You know what I mean? Like, and it was even a great race too. So that helps, but this isn't anything more than like us. It's not even a PR gap. You can't even really say that because the FBI got involved. Right. You know, like they took this thing seriously. NASCAR pretty much said in no uncertain terms, listen, if this is what you're about, the sport, our sport doesn't need you. So go ahead and, and let don't let the door hit you on the way out. Uh, yep. It's just fantastic. I'm glad it came. I mean, it. it's nice that it came with a, a positive note that it, it was just an unfortunate circumstance. But I think what it showed a little bit more was the willingness to rally around any racer, let alone uh, a black racer, right? The only one in your sport. Um like you said, if you didn't have a reaction to it, I think the impact is negative. And for everyone who's saying that they overreacted, NASCAR didn't really do anything other than release a statement and say they were going to look into it. They didn't. Nobody got banned. Nobody wasn't allowed on the premises. It was, hey, this was found. This isn't going to be tolerated. We're going to investigate this and figure out what happens. And it turned out that it wasn't what we thought it was going to be. But at the end of all of it, it just brought, I think, the race. I mean, it brought, it brought the, the sport a lot closer together. 
what we see come out of this might help shape sort of how we look back on this event. Um, I know a lot of athletes came out and sort of expressed their support. I would love to see that that support carries on, even though we know oh, that yeah. this wasn't, you know, what we originally thought it was. But what didn't help is the same time this is all going on, someone decides to fly a Confederate flag saying to defund NASCAR. So sure, the noose in the garage wasn't intended or it wasn't what it was meant to be, but... And if you look at the other side of that coin, someone is still out protesting the, the ability to fly a Confederate flag, even though the same racer came out and said, hey, we, we just weren't comfortable with it. Yeah. And there's always going to be one in every crowd. Uh, apparently in the NASCAR crowd, they have, you know, crop dusting planes and huge Confederate flags that they can somehow unfurl on a runway and no one has anything to say to them about it. But OK, uh, the, the race in Talladega was good. Definitely. Did not end, I think, the way a lot of people thought it was going to. Uh, Ryan Blenny edged out Ricky Stenhouse Jr. to win his first race uh, series race of the season, and he repeated because he won Talladega last year. And next weekend, you got a doubleheader in Pocono. So NASCAR is not only back, but NASCAR is back with the vengeance. Keep your racist stuff on the outside. Let's go. Moving on to our ever-growing and favorite segment of our show that might be overtaking the What's in Our Cup. It's the ongoing MLB drama, and in true fashion, it didn't disappoint. Uh, the league proposed their 60-game season. Once again, the Players' Union said, hell no, we don't hell want any part no. of this. And then, less than 24 hours later, they're like, you know what? Yeah, let's do this with... You know, some stipulations, they still need to iron out some of the health and safety protocols. Um, there are some interesting things that they included in the deals on both sides that might make things a little uh, interesting down the road. They pushed free agency out until August. That's when the deadline's going to be. Or, sorry, the, the trade deadline. Um, July 1st, they're all going to report to camp, and then the first games are going to start July 24th. All the initial proposals are still in place. You're still going to have the three divisions. You're just going to play within those divisions to help cut down on some of the travel, some of the expenses. Um, a couple other things that are a little interesting. Apparently, MLB is in talks with Nashville to create two teams for unsigned players just so they continue to play each other to help keep themselves in shape if we do need any kind of replacements there will be a specific inactive list for covid um there is going to be a big push on the health and safety side because it is worth noting that 40 mlb players have all tested positive for covid um or players and staff members so just when we were starting to kind of get into the swing of things, you're starting to see a lot more teams sort of get exposed to it. And the MLB is uh, no exception to that rule. So everyone knows that that happened. They still decided to move forward with uh, the, the proposed pay with the 60 games. So it seems the MLB players made most of the concessions. The owners got away with everything that they were sort of looking for. So We'll see how this shapes up in the coming years and the next time they all sit down at the negotiation table and see what this means for relationships long-term. Uh, but we got baseball, baby, and it looks like the end, at least to this season, at least this off-season in its drama, is coming to an end. But we'll see how it sets up for next season's drama. Yeah, you know, I mean, like every time you watch the end of like your favorite uh, drama series, like it always cliffhangers you. That's what the MLB is doing right now. They're cliffhangering us. 
And then we got to wait for production to kind of catch up. And we're going to get 60 games. There's going to be a postseason. There's going to be some money made around. That better it better be good baseball. That's all I really got to say about that. I don't want anyone mailing it in. I hope that all the fight that the the players union gave the league, rightfully so, uh, you know, carries forward to the field. We, yes, we're going to get some sort of baseball back. And for all of you who are listening, who sent me all kinds of text messages saying there's no way this season was happening in your face. <laughs> I, I do. I do like the uh, one last note. I do like the move. The owners pulled where they sort of pulled the old bait and switch, the political move where they're like, no, we're going to play this game. We're going to play this game. And at the very end, they pushed off on the owner and say, oh, no, no, but we'll play whatever he wants to. Ma-. So at the end of all this, they can be like, no, 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 he made the schedule. We're saying we'll agree to whatever that is. That way, some of the onus on scheduling and who plays who and how that rolls out, they can be like, no, 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 it wasn't, that wasn't our, that wasn't our deal. That was his. <laughs> <laughs> it's good, though. Baseball is going to come back. We're, we're really excited about it. I'll take it. Of course, one of the big things that uh, that just seems to be dominate all of the headlines these days. Uh, you know, Tim, it kind of reminds me of the the episodes of Seinfeld or or like Friends, where each one of those episodes has a name, like the episode where. And this this part in our sports life in this series that we're that we're living is is the episode called COVID gonna COVID, right? I mean, a few weeks ago we were talking about how no PGA players had tested positive. There were a couple of positive tests in the MLB. Mm-hmm. There was a couple in the NBA, but you know, everything kind of had it under control. Again, coronavirus must be listening to our podcast because now it's like every sport in some way, shape or form seems to be affected. Uh, there was a whole group of players from the NFL working out in Nashville. One um, 49ers player tested positive. Uh, Ezekiel Elliott, I guess, is positive for COVID-19. And this information was released without his consent. Uh, he put a, a one-word tweet up, HIPAA. And I feel <laughs> you, man. I, I mean, how does someone just release that stuff without anyone knowing about it? You talked about the 40 players and staff from MLB that have already tested positive. Um, and USA Sports' Bob Nightingale had that as well. So now we're we're moving these, these teams into these bubbles where, I mean, that kind of seems like a Petri dish, right? Mm-hmm. And it's not just professional sports. Uh, the NCAA college football, 30 LSU players have already tested positive. 20-plus Clemson athletes have tested positive. And even their city's wastewater in Clemson has tested positive for traces of COVID-19. We, here we are four or five, six months into this pandemic, and now I'm just like, wait a minute. So we don't have enough tests, but we can – There's you found it in the wastewater? What? You know, <laughs> it's just – this yeah. is crazy. Yeah, the, the NBA's had a surge in cases. All the teams are inbound to Florida after the Fourth of July weekend, and that that seems fine, right? Yeah, you start seeing a lot more players come out and sort of speak out about the wanting to play or the lack of wanting to play. You know, you got guys on both sides of it. Uh, you're never going to get everybody to live inside of a bubble. I I know that they were going to some pretty drastic lengths to try and figure out ways to live inside this bubble and be as accurate as possible. They have biometric scanning rings that players can wear that'll recognize your elevations and heart rate and body temperature and oxygen levels all to kind of work as early detection signs for COVID. They're going to have plenty of players who are going to find ways to get out and do their own thing. And it only takes one of them. And when you're living in that close quarters, I mean, these college teams are a prime example of that. I've been to plenty of college parties. I know you've been to college parties. It's like a clown car on steroids. Uh, it takes one person in any one of those events and an entire team has it. And I know most athletic teams have their own houses or their own dorms. It takes one person in there. They're all sharing the same space. Bound to happen. Um, yeah. 
I know Novak had come out earlier and said it was going to be impossible to play any of the tennis events that they were planning with the current COVID restrictions. Uh, and in a bit of irony, he arranged his own uh, little event. And as a result of that, both he and five people, or him and four other people, all tested positive for COVID. Even the athletes who sort of turned their nose up to the recommendations and, you know, the, the risks associated with them are also not immune to it. And we're starting to see more and more of that. So nobody's safe, man. Nobody's safe. And in the Orlando Pride withdrew from the National Women's Soccer League Challenge Cup after six players and four staff members tested positive, right? So an entire team is saying, look, we're, we're out, right? Um, Nick Watney of the PGA tested positive for COVID after testing negative. He got a second test after his whoop band let him know that he might not be feeling like himself. Tim, I was yesterday years old when I found out what a whoop band is. Do you know what it is? I have no idea. A whoop band is this little, it's like, it's like a an oversized Fitbit, but it has no screen. And what it does is it measures the same thing that this, uh, the, the biometric ring that the NBA is going to use, like your sleeping patterns and your stress level, your temperature. It monitors all these things. So I, I read a, an article on it. Uh, basically, the whoop sends about 100 signals every second to track all of your body's like data. Okay. In contrast, an Apple watch sends a beep about once a minute. So Watney knew that he was feeling off, but he didn't feel like he had a fever. And then his whoop told him, yeah, you might want to get this checked out. He got a second test, boom, positive. Like, hold on. How? It's, it's 2020 and we have this thing that's out there. Like, why has no doctor told me about this? Yeah. <laughs> I love my Apple watch, don't get me wrong, but I think I'd rather have 100 you know, pulses a second to figure yep. out some data stuff than once a minute. So that's crazy. Yeah, it uh, it goes to show you a little bit in the discrepancy between wealth and the general population. You had long before tests were available. So I had COVID and I couldn't even get tested, let alone get into a, a doctor's office because they were worried about me spreading it. And But the lack of test was a big issue. That same time frame, I heard about teams and entire families getting tested i heard uh, a former bachelor had it and not only did he and his girlfriend or wife get tested but they tested the entire family twice so a lot of this technology exists a lot of the early detection methods are out there but i'm not making 50 million dollars a year i can't afford a band that's going to tell me it's time to go to bed and when it's time to wake up yeah it's crazy well it obviously you uh you made it through. Definitely happy yes. to have you here. That's just absolutely wild. <laughs> uh, and uh, Whoop, if you're listening, we'll take a couple of those bands. You can just send them right to Tim because he, he obviously needs them. Not me. I'm a sedentary <laughs> guy. But uh, let's let's move on here. The SBs happened this weekend. I don't know if you watched it, Tim. You know, just some Seattle sports icons, Sue Bird, Megan Rapino, Russell Wilson, just hosting it virtually. Just, just a good yeah. thing, you know. Um, I thought there were some funny jokes. I thought I thought the the officiating trio did a really good job. Uh, Kevin Love won the Arthur Ashe Award for Courage. He spoke uh, his truth about mental health. And uh, Taquarius Ware received the Jimmy V Award for Sha from Shaquem Griffin from the Seattle Seahawks. Um, just two great stories, right? Uh, Love wrote an eye-opening piece in the Players' Tribune about his own struggle with panic attacks and mental health. And Taquarius Ware wrote about never giving up on his dream of playing college football after a 2005 house fire left him covered 55% of his body in third degree burns. Uh, and in one hand he was missing four fingers. He had 20% chance to live. 
I mean, in the midst of a pandemic, we look to sports, you know, really to sort of give us some content and and kind of reconnect us with humanity. And these two stories, like loved using his acceptance speech to highlight the importance of mental health mm-hmm. on the tail end of Mental Health Awareness Month, and where just being the textbook definition of like determination, perseverance. Those are just incredible stories. We needed to hear them. And oh man, I, I just like ten minutes where I don't think there was a dry eye in the house. Yeah, I. Uh... This is the first year I actually didn't watch the ESPYs. I kind of hold it in such a high regard, and it's one of those emotional things I like to take in. I didn't want to be distracted by sort of the dance that everyone's doing by doing it remotely. You know, you got a little taste of that with the draft. Um, But I got a lot of respect for Kevin Love. I know when he first came out, you know, the internet is a terrible place. Twitter is just a cesspool and the amount of backlash he got when he first came out, but to see sort of the acceptance that's kind of gone on with it and the fact that it started a, a, a much larger conversation. Um, and I know he's not the only player. Uh, he's just one of the more vocal ones in recent history. Uh, and he's persistent about getting the message out that mental health, mental, uh, health is something that needs to be discussed. Uh, so I was glad to see him win it. Again, everyone just sort of thinks like, Oh, you're a professional athlete, you make millions of dollars a year. It must be so easy to just get up and just play a game. You know what I mean? But there's so much more that goes into it when you're an entertainer and you're trying to live up to those own expectations that you have for yourself versus the ones that we put on you as a culture. So just crazy. I just continue to love stories like that. But I just feel like after I watch those episodes, I'm just mentally drained. So I can only give kudos and hats off to the people that live it and go through it because it's just amazing the amount of grit that they have. One of the last stories around out this week's um, rundown. The UFC, it's been back for a few weeks now. And have we got some good knockouts? Yes. Have we had some not so good knockouts? Yes. But if you would have told me that I, we would have had a guy quit in the second round, a round that he had just won, and he goes back to his corner and he just says, nah, not coach, I'm done. I, would, I, I wouldn't have believed you, but that's exactly what happened. Uh, Max Roscoff called it quits after the second round in his bout with Austin Hubbard this past weekend. There was a viral video uh, in which, you know, he, he's in his corner talking to his coach saying, I don't have it, call it. And, and his coach is tr- adamantly trying to just tell him, like, no, you you just won that round. Like, we're going to come back in the third. You're going to do some some real good stuff. Like, get back in there. You have a heart of a champion. He's like, no, I'm out. I'm done. Call the fight. Now, everyone is going to rush and say, wait, why would you quit? You know, but Roscoff took that fight on five days notice, mm-hmm. which – in any sport, especially fighting, is bonkers, bananas. No one yeah. would ever really do it. Like you, you are, you are walking into a powder keg right there. Uh, I think you got to respect it to the guy. You know, like he lost the first round decidedly, and he came back, he gave it his all in the second round, and he he realized if it was going to keep going, it wasn't going to go well for him. And I mean, even UFC President Dana White criticized the people who would criticize Roscoff, saying that. Anyone who does what he has the, the the guts to do by stepping in that ring with such short notice, like you can't criticize a guy like that. And in a sport that is so much built on stories, but also like I think as consumers, we just want to see we, we want to see it go the distance, right? We we don't want to see someone quit yet. Oh, you tapped out, like oh, it's, that's honorable. Yeah, you're, you're sitting in the ring getting your face pounded in, like you know what I mean. You, you yeah. gotta give, gotta gotta be nice. Yeah, it's a tough one. I, I I see both sides. The trainer came out and said that he felt he was encouraging his athlete as part of his job to help, you know, motivate and drive him. I get, I, I, get, I definitely get that. But given the circumstances, the short rest, 
the first UFC fight, um, knowing that it's not going in the direction. I mean, it takes a lot for an athlete to say, like, look, I don't have it today. Uh, he took some massive shots. I, I mean, he didn't. The end of it, he didn't appear to get beat up that much, but man, he took a overhand right to the jaw that you can go online and find the slow-mo picture of it. And it's like something out of a video game. So <laughs> I think he knew that if it was going to continue on, it was going to end poorly. And I think what a lot of people don't give enough credit to is that, sure, your, your corner's telling you to go out to wrestle. So everybody thinks that, oh, you know, he would just go out and wrestle and it would stay close and nothing would happen. That's not necessarily the case. There's a strong possibility that the guy you're fighting is going to move away and pummel you. And some of those brain injuries that happen from hard knockouts and taking a lot of those shots, they take a little while to bounce back from. And yeah. if you're just trying to break into the UFC, I mean, his MMA record total is 12 and four, and he just came off of another loss back in March. So he hasn't had a lot of rest time. He didn't even have a full camp. Um, well, I understand and can respect a coach trying to help motivate a fighter because a lot of the fighters you hear commenting on this, you hear like my, my corner would have had to stop me from going back and I would never stop myself or, you know, it's, it's a problem with the sport where ultimately it's going to end up with someone severely injured. You see it a lot more on, Take it back. You don't see it a lot, but you see it more often in boxing where corners don't properly stop a fight, even though you can tell a boxer's not ready. And if boxers have given you a sign that I don't have it and you encourage them to go back in, that's when you start hearing about players ending up in the hospital. There's a couple yeah. fighters that died last year just from, from brain trauma. Brain hemorrhages. Yep. Yeah. Um, I get where the criticism of the, the corner comes in. I, I support the criticism. You tell your fighter... A few times like you got it but if he's adamant like i don't have it i don't have it do you really want to send them out anyway because they're going to go in defeated they're going to go in sort of looking for an escape and i don't know if that's someone with the awareness that i want to be out trying not to get pummeled by another fighter i think you know danny came out was very complimentary complimenting him on the balls to come out and just try it but i mean I took the fight on five days notice like yeah, you know yeah and i think what'll really show the the colors of ufc is whether or not he gets another fight. It's he took it on short notice. He did lose. He it's his second loss in a row. Um, first one with the UFC and to quit into the second round. I know the UFC is a really competitive league. Also, I mean, they are in the midst of losing fighters going elsewhere. So I don't know how that kind of pans out. But at the same time, I know Dana's a businessman and he's going to go where the money is. And if people are tearing down a fighter and have sort of lost not respect, but if they if they've lost even the desire to watch him, I, w I wouldn't be surprised if maybe he was a one and done, you know, sometimes you come up to the big leagues and you just don't have it. And that's where you find out that you're just not cut out for it. Um, I, I hope that's not the case. I think he showed, uh, some good skills and some good movement in that second round. Uh, I mean, he did get pummeled in that first round. Um, but I hope to give him at least one shot, go, go out, come back, you know, don't, don't do it on, just a few months, come back yeah. later in the year, get a full training camp in, come back with a full corner, give it give it another go if, if your heart's still in it. I just think that when you look at these UFC fighters who do a few fights a year, they they train for peak performance. They train in a, in a cyclical nature. 
And if you interrupt that, you're going to get, I, I think, probably less of a product. And if a guy knows after barely making it out of the first round, yeah, he, he can yep. land some devastating punches, but he already knows what the other guy is capable of. Yep. And just think, the UFC fighters, you want to say like, oh, you, it's just it's barbaric or whatever, right? If you, if you have like the 2000s or you know early 2000s approach to what was so bad about MMA, but it, there's so much that goes into the sport now that like it takes, like you said, a very strong mental game to be able to step into a ring with someone who is getting paid to knock the snot out of you. Yeah. It doesn't even matter if you think that you're a better fighter than him. It's the fact that you were willingly saying, hey, body, remember all the work we did? We're about to throw it out the window. Yep. And by the way, one, you know, one foot to my neck or, you know, <laughs> one huge punch to the back of my head and we're never going to be the same. So yeah. there's a lot that goes in with that. And I, I do hope they give another shot. Um, but yep. uh, yeah, I understand it's a business. We're going to move on now to the big ticket. This week's big ticket. Sports and COVID-19. Tim, they're on a collision course, and I think that we have to ask the question, how in the world are we going to consume sports now because of this? We've already seen it with the MLB. Some of these TV deals are going to be a little bit more important than they were previously. Uh, fan engagement is going to be how the leagues live or die over the next you know, year, or I, I think over the next few years, they try and come up with ways to recoup some of these financial losses, right? With the big television deals you help kind of cover yourself from some of that but there's still a lot that goes into the daily presentations in in stadiums and things like that that is going to be lost revenue food drinks all that sort of stuff um like we said the tv deals and the splits are going to help cover from some of those they've been contracts that are in place for for quite a while uh, but i think you're going to see a huge push towards those sort of things, uh, like NFL Sunday Ticket, uh, ESPN Plus, The Zone, like any one of those that are going to take place of live events. You know, I know Golf Channel has; they all have it. I, watching the event over the weekend, I don't know how many times I saw advertisements for. I think it was called like Golf Pass or something, where you got all the the live events that were upcoming. Um, I think what you'll start seeing also is some of these cable companies starting to tie in bundles to some of these to help re recoup some of these massive deals as well and really strike why the iron's hot, right? If yeah. you can get some if you can get some fans to sit down and watch more games at home and realize that you know, I'm going to get a back a lot of backlash for this, but uh I almost prefer most sports sitting on my own couch without having to be at the event and I think having them become more accessible in Real time is really going to be how things move forward. It's it, it's cheaper um, for me, especially in bigger events. I can actually focus more on the game versus focusing at being at a game, which is uh, there are two different things. Focusing oh, yeah. on a game and then focusing on the experience of being at a game are drastically different things. I used to when I lived in Boston, I would watch most of the game on my couch and maybe walk over to the garden into the third period of a Bruins game and catch the tail end of it just to be part of the experience when they won. But I didn't care as much about watching the game live. And I think that's, you know, for me, I think that's what a lot of the different leagues are going to go into with some of these major deals. And you're going to see a lot more fan engagement ideas. Um, virtual reality is something that's up and coming that uh, you sort of started to see promos last year with Jonah Hill and, and Justin Timberlake and a lot of those guys sitting on the couch 
using the VR headset and watching the game. I think ideas like that are going to be huge. A buddy of mine and I can be in two completely different locations and throw on a little VR headset and grab a couple beers and look over and see each other and sit courtside. 100 times out of 100, I'm going to do that because when that game's over, I just take that sucker off and I'm back in my house. Yeah, yeah it's, it's definitely, uh, there are new segments and, and parts of the market that I feel like pre-COVID, everyone thought like, well, that's a great idea. We'll get to it when we get to it. We'll let technology catch up. Well, the world decided to intervene and now you kind of have to really take advantage of it. I mean, you brought up just how every network has or every sport has its own like pass now with the network. Uh, the NFL Sunday ticket is in its last season contractually with the NFL. And there's been a lot of talk about the NFL moving away from it, selling their their own sort of program. You know, all of those TV deals with Amazon, with Twitch, um, Fox, you know, for the Thursday night games, uh, you know, ESPN still has their lock on Monday night. Like those TV deals, they don't go away, but they change as, as the sport changes and as the industry changes. And of course you have MLB network, which has their own pass. And it's actually like cheaper, you know, it's more portable and you're going to start to see that. Um, I too would, you know, would welcome trying the VR experience. Um, I didn't get a chance to go to a lot of sports games growing up. So I've been to, three, four, yeah, four or five NFL games. Um, I, I really love that experience, right? Would love to be able to take, you know, kids someday to it. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you can't go to every single game because the tickets to sit in the nosebleed are like $400, $500 for, for a pair with all those fees, right? So yep. if I get to, you know, say to, you know, my son or daughter, all right, cool, put this VR headset on that we got for Christmas and you and I are going to sit at the 50-yard line. Like, yeah, that that is going to be pretty cool for sure. Yeah. But yeah, then 100%. again, if you think about it, if you have the VR thing, I mean, are there players going to just play without fans? I mean, for the rest of, of, of the sport, I, I just don't think that. I think that there's going to be a number of people that will still go to the games for sure. And I hope that the ticket prices reflect that. But if you look at a hundred thousand seat stadium, like Jerry world, you know, the, the Cowboys play in, like there's yep. always going to be people who want to go to that. Right. But I mean, with social distancing and if we don't have a vaccine come, you know, the fall, like how, how is this all going to work? You'll always have people who are going to want to be in the stands, right? We're already seeing it now with people who are demanding states reopen and people who are already on board with doing whatever event. I mean, we have political rallies that are being packed. You have uh, outside venues for like Dave Chappelle, who just put on a little impromptu concert that had people going to it. You'll always have people who want to go. I don't think... um, I don't think long-term this is going to really make a big dent from a bigger perspective. I think sort of as COVID goes along, people are going to get more and more used to the risk of having it. And as more and more of the population gets it, uh, I think people are going to start backtracking a little bit on some of their own self-imposed restrictions. Uh, My family and I, we're still pretty good at sort of keeping our own distance from pretty much everybody. We still haven't gone out to eat anywhere, but now we'll get takeout. Uh, Are we we washing every box that comes in our house? No, but I can already see the gradual steps in moving in that direction. Um, I think it's gonna be a twofold sort of dilemma. I think going forward, people are going to miss that social interaction and will or go the risks to be part of it. But I also think some of the inspirations that are going to come out of this and some of the, the experiences and technologies that are going to come in place of not being at these stadiums are really going to start making the choice to spend the money to go to an event or find an alternative way to do it with groups of friends and avoid some of that risk. I think a lot of that's going to bring in, 
the drive now is to just help people stay healthy, but I think people might start finding some of these experience experiences both cheaper uh, and just in general more enjoyable. So I think it's going to depend how quickly things get back to normal. But I think it depends on how long you want to look out. If we want to look out two, three years from now, uh, I don't think there's any real way to avoid it, right? I think part of the way owners are justifying some of these big massive contracts they're starting to dole out especially in the nfl is by offering and pushing for longer seasons so the only way you're going to make up some of the money that you're paying some of these athletes that are hundreds of millions of dollars is by putting people in seats and collecting their revenue every game someone sat and did the math and said hey you know what a 16 game season isn't quite cutting it if we're trying to pay someone 120 million dollars for their contract but if we extend the season by two games and we drag that out five to 10 years, we've recouped not only that money, but we've also, we're, we're still in the green. Owners are yeah. never going to want to operate in the black or the red. They're tying every decision they make financially into making sure that they are making money. Obviously, that doesn't work for everybody, and we see that all the time. But for the most part, you know, the Jerry Jones of the world, the Robert Krafts of the world, they're looking at these big contracts that they're handing out and they're looking at what it's going to be to put people in seats. So as long as these big contracts are coming out, there will be a big push to get people back in the stadiums, whether it's next year or two years from now, it'll, it'll go back. People, people have short-term memories as we're already seeing in places like Florida and Arizona. Yeah. And you got to think though, the fans are going to be there, but most of them will be. There's been a lot of talk about pumping in fan noise. And I know that like the Bundesliga, uh, you know, European soccer has has already done a little bit of it. Uh, and I just think it's going to hit different. You know, players, I got to love hearing the roar of the crowd, right? They feed yeah. off that energy. Uh, it's like the saying, if a tree falls in the woods and no one is around to hear it, doesn't make a sound. But like if you think the winning shot from three as the play clock expires and there's no crowd, does it feel the same? Right. That doesn't mean the same. Like, you know what I mean? Does, does the crowd collectively lose their minds? Does your team lose their minds? You know, we, we talked earlier, I think a couple of pods ago about how in the UFC, there was a fighter who said, because there were no fans in the stands, that they could hear the commentator saying, oh, the, this person needs to get out of this clinch or, you know, she's really not doing what she should be doing in this position. So then she goes like, oh, OK, I'm going to take that free advice. And then she goes yeah. and wins the fight and she's yeah. asked a question about it. And she said, well, I didn't hear the crowd. I heard the commentator. So that's what I went off of. Yeah. You know, and, and I just and think you, and you can't falter for it. Right? True. Yeah, and I think, you know, you hear all the time, you hear the sixth man, you hear the twelfth man, where the the fans are actually part of the actual experience in games. You have plenty yep. of stadiums where teams have to come up with game plans for noise interruptions for play calling, where they're working now off of play calling via signals and things like that. Or, you know, you always you always see the guy bent over trying to cover his ears to get the call. Fans play a huge role in it. And me as a fan at home watching, the feeling I get when a crowd goes wild, right? There's a reason they, they broadcasters over the radio used to tell you when the crowd went wild because it evokes an emotional response. I think without that, uh, it's not quite the same. I'm sure, you know, audio is great now. Uh, it'll help a little bit, but I don't, it's not going to be the same ex experience for the players. What you're playing is basically an organized practice at that point or like a scrimmage, which I think is going to end up what it, it feels like. I think golf might be the only sport where you can remove fans and still have somewhat of the same experience. But ever since tiger became an integral part of 
at PGA, you have the Tiger Roar, where as he does well, you 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 can gauge the leaderboard now based off of the audio from around the course, which I think does a lot of things for that game. You you have those jerks that constantly yell every time someone tees off, so I'm okay with that part being gone. But if you're getting ready to tee off and you're in the top five on the leaderboard, and you know Tiger's you know somewhere floating around the top ten or above. And you hear that roar, you know that there's a, a a chance that your position may be in jeopardy. So if it affects golf, I can't imagine it not affecting NBA, the MLB, any of those major sports. I think the of all the sports, the NBA might even be the weirdest because it's such a small, close atmosphere where you are playing up against the feet of your fans. And to not have anybody there and have fake noise in, it doesn't. That part doesn't make any sense to me. I think they'd be better off trying, and I don't even know how you could do it. Be better off and maybe space people out, you know, one every six seats or something like that, and go with a quarter of the arena or half of the arena versus having an empty arena, and then maybe mix in some crowd noise with live crowd noise. Um, I think that might be a better solution than just from a player's perspective. I know there have been leagues, soccer leagues around the world who have not only piped in audio, but they also put in the visual effect of uh, transposed fans in the stands purely for spectators. And I know most people who watch soccer also play FIFA, so you're probably fine with that sort of adaptation. But <laughs> soccer games is, are, are, are soccer matches are one of the biggest events from a fan's perspective like those guys yeah. go bananas and crowd and noise just isn't going to do it justice the noise is just always so consistent whether you're at a, an mls match or even you know a premier league or any of those other matches especially the world cup coming up too right in, in a few years as someone's going down the pitch everyone starts kind of getting a little more antsy a little more antsy their, their volume gets higher oh, right the, the kick happens and it bounces off the goalpost. Oh, yeah. Or someone scores and everyone just loses their collective mind. There's flames going everywhere. You, yeah. you, like, you, you kind of you lose, you lose track a little bit. I could tell you, after seeing some of these NFL predictions, it's clear that people think that the Seattle Seahawks, Sands the 12th man, are not going to be able to do as great because they're like they're rating them winning even less games now, which is just bananas to me. No one's doing that to the Chiefs, for example. Uh, but I can tell you that being in CenturyLink Field, like, the sound that reverberates in that place, like yep. it will make your ears hurt. It is just, it is so unique of an experience. And like, I think everyone should, should experience it. You know right. what I mean? It, it's just, it's so neat, but I, I just have to wonder, like we're already talking about pumping fan noise in. I mean, just ask the Atlanta Falcons. They got in trouble for doing that, but now they're, now they're going to be spurred to do it. Like what does yeah. this do for the rest of the sport? You know, agreed. Interesting times. I bet we'll start seeing some crazy advances in audio technology as a result of this. So maybe that's a silver so. lining. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, you because know, you always hear those videos of like when the when the people over get in the call, it's like, rah, 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 rah. and they're like, oh yeah, it's a jet sweep. You're like, huh? Hot. Okay. <laughs> I don't know how you I don't know how you figured that out, but okay. So yeah. we talked earlier about the contracts. Contracts, as as you know, they're heavily dependent on gate receipts. TV deals and everything. And I, I think a few years from now, if we don't get back to a, a you know full fans being in the stands, I think those contracts are gonna look a little bit different. You know, you have escalators that are tied to performance, but you could make the argument that performance is based off of the flow of the game and kind of the energy yep. you can receive from the crowd. So what does that look like? 
I think negotiations going forward, at least for the foreseeable future, are going to be different from for a lot of different reasons. You take the MLB, for example, there are a lot of performance clauses in there. There's going to be a lot of makeup that has to happen over the next few years to help cover some of these. I think teams that suffer major losses financially this season are going to be sort of behind the ball a little bit in the seasons coming forward because you're going to be operating potentially at a deficit for the next few years. Like the Brewers, how are they going to make it out of this? You know, teams like that. Um, The Rays, the, the Blue Jays, where they used to, they had such a hard time selling tickets for a while that they used to do two for two Tuesdays on, uh, or two tickets for the price of one on Tuesdays. So you could go up and see a, a, a Rays Sox game and sit in a good seat for like $30. So teams like that are really going to be the ones that suffer a lot from some of this. I think you'll start seeing a lot more players migrate towards bigger market teams because they're not going to feel the same financial pinch as a lot of these. But I also think you're going to have players sort of looking out more for their own versus looking out for the teams and maybe the owners, especially if we're talking MLB because of the way this whole thing's been handled. The MLB players themselves had to make a lot of the biggest concessions for getting this season going. Um, And when your owners are just turning a blind eye to everything that you're requesting and sticking to their own guns, I think that kind of tarnishes relationships a little bit. It's tough to gauge the, the NFL because there's a solid chance by the NFL, by the time the NFL gets up and rolling, a lot of things might be somewhat back to normal. Um, that one will be tough to see. I think N- NFL fans are diehard enough. Uh, I don't foresee the biggest impact in a lot of the bigger market stadiums. I think they're going to suffer the same fate when it comes to lower market teams. Uh, teams that aren't selling out stands just because you're going to be in the same boat. Anybody you have on your roster that's getting paid a ton is going to now be sort of a a, a financial liability while you're waiting to recoup the money you lost for this entire season. Um, But I'm more on the optimistic side when it comes to the NFL. I I don't know if optimistic is the right word, but I think their fans are diehard enough. They'll be there no matter what. Yeah. I mean, there's still a lot of, like you said, there's still a lot of ground to go before we get there. And they still have the entire season ahead of them. So even if they had to cut part of the season, they still have more runway um, to be able to take off than some of these other leagues do. Yeah. NBA, I think might be in the same boat. They might be the ones that are hurt the most though, because they are smaller teams and they have a ton of money that they're paying out. Um, I know the MLB tends to, I think, carry financially higher contracts, but the MLB, I don't think is that far behind. Um, and where you have a team that's small, you're, I guess it's a balance. Your, your overhead isn't quite as high, but your stadiums also aren't as large. So it's the same conversation. Some of these small market teams that aren't selling out their arenas are going to have a bigger pinch. I think the Lakers will be fine. I think the Celtics will be fine. Anybody that has long-term financial backing and success will be fine but you're going to start seeing a lot more of these big marquee players that play for some of these lower profile teams move on because they're not going to get the contracts any i think anybody whose contract expires probably in the next two years is going to be subject to either eating a big financial loss or 
taking a hit on the the length of a contract because everyone's going to be more worried about what their financial outlook is. There's already grumblings of what might happen if teams go bankrupt because looking at some of the numbers for some of these franchises, it is a possibility. You're getting a cut of whatever the TV deal is, but that may not be enough to fully cover the operational costs. And if fans decide that, you know what, I'm not going this season. Um, it's not worth the risk to go watch a team that's going to go, you know, lose three quarters of their game. Like, why am I going to risk COVID, spend all that money to watch a losing team when I could just stay home and watch it? Um, those are going to be the ones that are in trouble, and those are going to be the ones that are imp- that whose contracts are going to be impacted the most. Both, I think, the owner contracts that are in jeopardy for a lot of those teams, players that are currently on the roster. But if you're a superstar on a on a low market team, I don't, I yeah, don't think you'll be on the team in the next. Yeah, I, I think we missed one of the most important things to ask, though, which is. With no fans in the stands, how are the Astros going to use their trash can banging to figure out what the pitch is? <laughs> Everyone's going to hear it. The other team will hear it, right? There's going to be a lot of bird noises. There's going to be a lot of bird noises. <laughs> yeah. Uh, look, sports are coming back in, in a bubble, right? Um, the wide world of sports in Orlando is going to host the NBA. Uh, Major League Baseball is also going to Florida like they do every year because Major League Baseball is obviously from the Northeast, and that's what you do in the wintertime. You go to Florida. Uh, like Tom Brady did. Um, yep. but how in the world do we get to retire? Uh, <laughs> hey, hey, he's got two seasons. Don't don't be hating on TV now. You, you can't you can't make up for the last eighteen years of of your bliss. So you'll get over that. Uh, yeah. If we're gonna have sports in a bubble, why are there so many discrepancies about how they're gonna actually do it? Oh, hey, all the players, you're gonna be in in your hotels and you're gonna be playing video games and you're gonna practice. And all your rooms are going to be clean. But, oh, by the way, we're not testing the staff. Or, oh, by the way, we can't stop food deliveries from coming in. Or, like you brought up earlier, oh, by the way, there's not going to be a small chance someone doesn't sneak out at night, be a little human, yeah. get involved in some stuff, go to some bars, right? Yeah. Like, it's just – it's it's inconceivable that it wouldn't happen. Yeah. So then that makes me wonder, why hasn't Major League Sports, like, thought about what they're going to do about this? Like, when you have, like, 9-11, right – sports security was taken in a much different light. Yep. And now we haven't seen anything like that, but that's because they planned for it. Mm-hmm. We, we had, you know, a pandemic with the swine flu in, in the late two thousands. Now here we are, you know, 10, 11 years later and we have this and yet it's like the sports world learned nothing. It's like, they just, you know, the MIB thing where they put a little light in your face and they yeah. zap <laughs> your memory. Like that, that's what happened. Like major league sports were like, we don't know how to run books. Like, what do you mean? You don't know how to run books. Yeah, you, you've owned this team for 20, 30, 40 years. You know how to run this team. Why haven't you thought of these things? And I, I just can't get it past the fact that it's just professional arrogance to me. They, they just think, oh, we're immune to it. Well, COVID says you're not, and I have a vote. That's because dollars win over all other forms of logic all the time. And sports is the biggest representation of that. You can go all the way down to the college level, to see what they put those kids through, uh, especially in big market uh, organizations like Clemson and Alabama, where the amount of money that those guys rake in every single year, uh, and the fact that a lot of those teams were like, "Yeah, we're just going to continue on COVID or no COVID." Like you're, you have a bunch of athletes who are risking permanent damage, who aren't getting paid. College, yeah, I get it. Scholarship, whatever. It's a debate for another day, but. 
you're asking those people to put their own health in jeopardy for the almighty dollar and it's the same thing they're doing for everybody what they should do is just say you know what it's not worth the risk let's cancel this season but dangle millions of dollars in front of everybody especially the owner who has a lot of operational costs and the likelihood of them turning their back on it is slim to none as we saw yeah. uh, we keep going back to the mlb just because it's been one of the more vocal conversation or is one one of, one of the most visible back and forth from any of the leagues getting ready to start up the owners are like nope we will not play any more than 60 games because we will not operate at a loss we are going to make our money one way or the other whether you like it or not and you're either coming with us or we're not doing it at all because we would rather know exactly how much we're going to lose than risk losing more than what we can anticipate um i think the bubble lifestyle is a little bit more of a pr move than anything else look we made an effort we had a couple bad eggs in there who kind of went about and went rogue um it's it's not realistic it's like a bunch of people deciding to go on vacation together and saying they're all going to agree to do nothing but stay in the house together you know that's not going to happen once they get there you're going to have a couple people who are like i am bored of sitting in this house I am getting the hell out of here and then just going to go do it. Um, or you're going to order pizza and the pizza guy that's going to come over and you're going to hand them a dollar bill. Boom. You have it. And then everybody else in the house has it. And then it becomes Blue a massive. Game. Yeah. Then it becomes a massive failure. Right. So it, it has, there's, I can't think of a lot of downside to it in that if it works great, your PR move worked. If it doesn't work, you still managed to squeak out a little bit of money from whatever was played while it was going on. Um, I think it's silly. I think one of the things that isn't being discussed enough is the type of damage COVID might cause some of these athletes that may ultimately end up being permanent. Um, yeah. It's a disease that impacts your lung capacity. And in some cases, you know, I get it. Most people now are, are showing up as asymptomatic because there's testing more, whatever. The people who do have it, though, uh, a lot of them are showing damage in their lungs that might not even be repairable. It's not something that eventually goes away. You've damaged your lungs to the point, like smoking, for example, where it's just it hits a point of no return. How is this going to impact some of these players? Let's say you're in your mid-30s, say you're 32 years old. You have roughly six years left of your career. You get COVID, you get hit hard with it, and then you notice that your stamina and lung capacity aren't what they were before. Following season, you go out to play, you can't run as hard as you were the last seasons, and then people are going to be like, oh, we lost a step. Or his conditioning was bad. All these sort of things. Who's going to compensate you for the lost money that comes after that? Yeah. Nobody. Nobody. If you're in a, if you're in something like the NBA or MLS or any major sport where you are constantly on the move, I can tell you from experience, your lungs are not the same. I had COVID in March. I went for a bike ride this weekend. Last year, I used to ride like 25 miles a trip. I did 10 miles and was gassed. I pushed my bike home the last, I don't know, 200 feet because I couldn't make it up the hill. And it's it's the weirdest feeling like knowing that I could and was once able to do that without blinking an eye in a hundred degree heat 
to not be able to do that. And I know I get it. I'm not in the best shape. I'm not a professional athlete, but it's a small, it, it's, it's an example of what is going to happen to a lot of these players who get it. Um, and I just don't think it's something that's being considered enough. Now you're putting all of your players in a pool and just rolling the dice to say, Hey, let's see what like, LeBron James gets it. And he comes out not the same because his lungs get banged up. How bad is that going to look on the NBA? Your prize yeah. winning athlete who you parade in front of everyone as the golden ticket is now no longer able to live up to his previous status because his lungs are just irreparably torn up. Yeah. It's, it's not like, uh, yeah, you could say, Oh, well the draft happens every year. Well, if it, if it's starting in colleges and, and you don't stop it there and it also proliferates in the professional league, then you're essentially wiping out your farm and saying your your farm teams and you're saying oh we're fine with who we got but that's that's just not the case you're just not going to be able to sustain at some point you know and and of course you know i would have to believe that there would be a vaccine or or you know there'd be medical research that would sort of come up on that but you have to pay attention to the fact that like the the virus had a vote and us just saying oh we're gonna be fine we're just gonna keep like pushing on like that's so american of us but that's just that's not what's best for the people which sustain the sport which is like crucial to america so like we don't we don't need to be saying oh well you know if it happens to a couple people happens to a couple people we should anticipate that all the top leaders in our sports are going to get it that's what we should worst case scenario for we should we should plan for these you know in the military we would call it war gaming why why hasn't professional sports war gamed it out why hasn't someone done some sort of tabletop exercise and figured out listen you have half your roster how are you going to go through this do general managers just think that that's never going to happen to them hello it, it already has yeah uh, i think that is 100 percent accurate i think there's uh kind of goes back to you know dollars over everything um i'm sure there's been some sort of quote unquote safety net that has been thought out, but not necessarily to that capacity. It was sort of like, oh well if this we'll just call in the replacements. There are no replacements to replace an entire team because the you know the infection rate of COVID is so high that anybody within a six foot radius, which if you've ever been into a locker room is everybody, uh every one of them is exposed. And because the the cycle of it isn't, you know, you don't even know or the, the first few symptoms don't even begin to show for the first couple of days, you're playing three games a night. I mean, uh, three games in a week. That's three times you are likely going to be exposing yourself. And I know they're going to be playing more than that. They'll be playing five to seven games a night. Some weeks, some weeks they may have like one, one day off each week. Every time you're putting yourself out there, not only are you putting yourself out there against your own players, but also the players in the opposite team. It's going to take like two people before this goes nuts. And I don't think it's any, I don't really think it's anything to be fair that you could really plan for because it is sort of a once in a lifetime type event. Um, but I think also has to go to the belief structure of whoever the owners are and whether or not they side with the part of the demographic that thinks this is all made up, which there tends to be a line that you could draw where you see it, right? And you could you can kind of figure out on which side of the line some people land on and kind of guess 
you know which yeah. one of them is going to take it seriously and which which one's not and the owners all very much seem to be on the other side of that line it's just so weird because if you ask an owner um to interview a gm they're going to say all right i brought in tim for an interview tim 30 seconds to go third and goal we're down three i'm not trying to kick a field goal what's your play and you go oh let me go through my book here. Oh, here's the play we have, right? It, when coaches have playbooks for all the scenarios and they they think and they adapt and they scheme, why does that not scheming and adaptation happen at the next level or the next level above that? Why is that not something that the NFL, you know, their chief medical officer should be doing these types of things? Not disagreeing publicly with Dr. Fauci, <laughs> you know, where they're, where they're trading press releases to figure out if the league's going to start on time or not. We, yeah. we don't want to see the bickering. We want the two of you guys to work together. Teamwork makes the dream work, right? And it's 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 crazy, but in 2020, COVID-19 has, you know, it, it, it rides the pine. It has just as much of a say in the game flow, what happens, who's going to get minutes. And I just don't think anyone saw that coming, which I understand. But we've been in it for six months now. I don't need you to assume this is going to happen every year, but I do need you to assume that something like this could happen again. And I need us to be better prepared the next time around the yeah. Korean baseball organization, for example, that, that league, they had, they had a spike. They fixed the spike. The outbreak stopped. They kept playing. There are some fans in the stands. Like they were so aggressive in the way that they went about diagnosing, testing and treating it that now their lives are kind of beginning to get back to normal. And by some accounts, we're not even through the first wave yet. You know what I mean? So we're trying to make sure the second wave doesn't happen, you know, Labor Day weekend while we're watching the NFL season kick off. It's just wild. Yeah. And we're moving every every major sports franchise to one of the states with the highest second wave or or they're in their first wave. But we're moving them to the state that currently has the, the highest uptick in positive tests now. I know every one of these is going to start another debate between like, oh, the testing is different and the numbers are any increase in numbers is not a good time or it is not a good outlook for a location to move all of your prominent athletes from your sport. Just put yeah. that out there. Sure is. So obviously there's more to follow. I mean, we're obviously going to keep up with it and we'll continue to talk about it so you guys can hear it as well. But man, COVID going to COVID. That's right. This is one of our favorite parts of the show. What's in my cup? Two guys love craft beer. Talk about it. Tim, start us off. Take it away. So I got an interesting one this week. I've been not purposely sort of sticking to the, the hazy IPA. I do like a little bit of everything, but that's just Haze boy. Of, that's right. It's just, I'm a haze boy. Um, no, I actually had a beer on Saturday. Or sorry, Sunday that I was really going to save for, for this week. That was... Uh, a special treat it was uh, a stout aged in three different type of whiskey barrels uh, on top of like cinnamon and cocoa and all this crazy stuff and then they took each one of those three and they mixed them into one batch and then they aged that batch for 12 to 27 months it was fantastic it was my father's day beer it's called um bubble wrap from other half if you ever see it grab it um today's though is very interesting it's uh I'm sure many of you have heard of it. It's a double dry hop four point pale, but this one is part of the other half Freaky Friday series. 
where it was brewed by other half in New York. They took a crack at the recipe from Trillium, really did a good drop, uh, really did a good job with it. Uh, it's made with Citra and Columbus, has that nice sort of pillowy mouthfeel, a little bit of bitterness, but a lot of sort of smooth citrus on the end. Um, I'm more of a pale ale guy than an IP, I'll drink both of them, but if I walk in and I have a choice between the two, I usually lean more towards the pails, and Four Point is probably my favorite pale out there, and to have another brewery take a shot at it and do a, a great job with it, uh, pretty nice. You can look at the flip side if you're up in Boston and look for Trillium's variation of all Citra everything, which they did with some experimental hop techniques. So it's called HDHC, all Citra everything. Um, and there's a variation of this that uses the same thing that's in my fridge that I'll definitely drink before next week. <laughs> <laughs> very nice, very nice. Uh, I am also drinking, well, I'm drinking an IPA. It's called Robot Squirrel. Look at this can art right here. That's just fantastic. It's from Benchtop Brewing Co. out of Virginia Beach. Uh, really good uh, lagers and IPA. And I am just about it. All of their all their logos are usually like on a black can with like this chromatic color for their logo, which is like a, a rooster. But I mean, when you look at a can and you see a robot squirrel, it doesn't even matter what kind of beer it is. You're like, I'm taking that. It's coming off the shelf. So yeah, 100%. crack this thing. Tim, episode five in the books. Cheers, buddy. Oh, yeah. Yep. That's good. All right. Looking forward to next week. Who knows what's going to happen? Uh, NASCAR, I don't. I think they're out of revolutions. I think they, they clicked their bingo card on that one. Uh, the MLB should be getting ready. Players should be reporting. We should be knowing if there are more positive COVID cases. Um, maybe there's some COVID cases in tennis that we didn't know about that we were going to be talking about. The NFL should be itching closer. And sports as we know it should be doing the sports thing and hopefully not giving COVID more minutes in the game than is you know necessary. Because yeah. right now, COVID is in its free agency year and it's getting way too much playing time. And we, we gotta we gotta cut that down. Yeah, we realized that this was a really tough time for us to decide to start a podcast when sports uh is not happening. Um, but it seems we all have that light on the end of the tunnel the next few weeks we can really start uh diving in so we look forward to hitting the ground running actually getting to talk about some sports we're still gonna mix in all that other stuff but tim are we gonna throw in stats uh, maybe they don't really matter yeah, I don't, so i don't know why yeah stats, stats don't really matter so i don't know <laughs> it's all about the, the feelings here on our side feels all the feels all right guys everyone who's listening thank you very much for supporting the stats and matter podcast we will catch you next week goodbye see you <laughs>